Hello. We are going to read together as a class the book I Survived the Attack of the Grizzlies 1967. So for you, I will be reading out loud the chapters and it's going to be up to you if you'd like to listen to them or read them yourself or do a little bit of both like we would do in class. So after I get done with each chapter, I'm going to ask a couple questions. I just want you to pause the recording and you can think about them. Um, maybe if you're listening to it with a brother or sister or your parent or somebody that's at home with you, you guys could share the answers with each other. I don't expect you to write them down or record them anywhere, but it's just some things for you to think about. When we're all finished with the book, I'd like you to take the AR quiz. That's how I know that you will have done this assignment is by checking on AR and making sure that you've taken the quiz. Plus, you get some extra points. So, chapter one, I survived the attack of the Grizzlies, 1967. Tuesday, August 8th, 1967, Granite Park, Glacier National Park, Montana, around 9.30 p.m. Roar. The enormous grizzly roared with rage. Its dripping claws were open wide. Its dagger claws gleamed and Melody Vega was running for her life. Mel had no doubt that this bear wanted to kill her. Just moments before, Mel, and I, Mel had been sitting in the peaceful darkness surrounded by the magical wilderness of Glacier National Park. Owls hooted, night bugs shimmered, but then there were new sounds, sounds that made, made Mel's blood turn to ice. Massive paws crunching across the ground, wet, wheezing breaths, low, thundering growls. Mel looked into the distance, and there it was, the grizzly. Its silver-brown fur glittered in the moonlight. Mel's body filled with panic, and before she could stop herself, she was running as fast as she could. Within seconds, the bear was after her, its paws crashing against the ground. Mel's heart pounded with terror as she sprinted toward a pine tree. It was small and thin, but it was her only hope for staying alive. She prayed that this grizzly didn't climb trees. The bear was just one leap away when Mel launched herself into the tree. She gripped a low branch, kicked her legs up, and swung them around. But before she could start climbing, the bear was standing on its hind legs. It swiped at Mel with a giant paw, and the claws tore through the flesh of her leg. Somehow, Mel ignored the searing pain, the dripping blood. She clutched the branches with her trembling hands, pulling herself up higher and higher out of the bear's stabbing reach. But the grizzly didn't give up. It pounded the tree trunk, ripped away branches, and bellowed with fury. Grar! The spindly tree shook as though it would terrified as terrified as Mel, and then crack, the branch in Mel's hand broke off. She tipped back. Time seemed to slow as she tumbled through the air, twisting and turning and screaming for help. Down, down, down she fell. Mel braced herself for the crushing jaws and ripping claws. No grizzly had ever killed a human in Glacier National Park until tonight. So a couple of things I want you to think about, and after I get done asking your asking these questions, you can pause the recording and then start it back up whenever you want. So chapter one, list some descriptive words that are used to describe the grizzly. So words using used to describe its appearance, way, words that you could use to describe the grizzly's actions and the things that it's doing. Question two, where does this story take place? Chapter 2. Two days earlier, Sunday, August 6, 1967, Lake McDonald, Glacier National Park, around 8 p.m. Mel, I have a question for you, said Mel's four-year-old brother, Kevin. Go ahead, Mel said. They were on the beach outside their grandfather's log cabin. 
Kevin was perched on Mel's lap, gobbling a roasted marshmallow. Their campfire crackled. The lake looked purple in the moonlight. What's the most dangerous, most scariest, most fiercest animal, Kevin asked. Here in Glacier, Mel asked. She swallowed the last bit of her own roasted marshmallow. Kevin nodded. A grizzly bear, she said, but only if you surprise it. Everyone knew that. What animal can beat a grizzly, he asked. Hmm. Mel said. She loved her little brother more than anything, but she could, but he could drive her crazy with his nonstop questions. What about a mountain lion? Kevin asked. I doubt it, Mel said. She stared into the campfire. Wolf? Probably not. Coyote? I don't think so. I know, Kevin said excitedly. A wolverine. Those were ferocious animals that looked like little bears, but were really a kind of weasel. Mel had no idea if wolverines picked fights with grizzlies. Luckily, their grandfather was just walking down from the cabin. His work boots crunched on the rocky sand. Did somebody say Wolverine, he asked, as he sat down next to them. I once saw Wolverine steal, uh, steal a dead deer from three wolves. The Wolverine was no bigger than a fox, but it had no fear, no fear at all. Kevin jumped off, off Mel's lap. Can a Wolverine beat a grizzly? No, Pop said, shaking his head. Grizzlies are the strongest, but I'll tell you this, Wolverines are fierce. Like me, Kevin said with a little growl. He bared his teeth and turned his sticky hands into claws. Then he fell into Pops' lap in a fit of giggles. The sound rose up into the starry sky, and at that moment, Mel could pretend this was just another normal, happy vacation in Glacier. But of course, there was nothing normal about this trip, and Mel was sure she'd never feel happy again. Dad was back home in Wisconsin. He couldn't miss any more work this year. And Mom? Mom was gone. She died last December in a car crash. Mel felt a stabbing pain in her chest, like her heart was cracking apart all over again. She stood up, fighting back, fighting tears. Be right back, she told Pops and Kevin as she headed to the cabin. She didn't like anyone to see her cry. Mel hadn't wanted to come to Glacier this year, but Pops said they had to keep up their tradition. They always came to Glacier for two weeks in the summer. Mom would want them to be here, Pops said. Dad agreed. You love Glacier, Mel, he reminded her. I think it's going to make you feel better. By better, Dad meant Mel won't. Dad meant Mel would want to do something other than sitting alone in her room. That she'd want to see her friends play softball, go bowling, anything. But Mel didn't want to feel better. She didn't deserve to feel better, since it was her fault that Mom was gone. Mel pulled open the door to the cabin as her mind flashed back to that snowy December night. Her friend Teresa had wanted her to sleep over. Mom said no because the roads were too icy for driving. Mel begged and pleaded, and finally, when the snow had stopped, Mom had agreed to take her. They pulled out of the driveway. The skies had cleared and the snow seemed to seemed to glow. Mom had started to sing, roll, roll, roll your boat, and Mel started singing along. It was one of their funny traditions from when Mel was a little girl. Whenever they were alone in the car, they'd sing together. The dumber the song, the better. They were still singing when Mom rounded a curve. The car hit a sheet of black ice. They spun up around and around and around then skidded off the road. The driver's side of the car smashed right into a tree. It was all over in seconds. Mel sat down in a kitchen chair. Dad was wrong. Being in Glacier made her heart hurt even more because everything here <clears throat> reminded her of Mom. Every sparkle on Lake McDonald, every breath of the sweet air, the song every bird that's the song of every bird that sang from the pine trees. This had always been Mom's favorite place and Mel's too. This cabin had been in their family for more than sixty years. Pops and his dad built the cabin back before Glacier was a famous national park packed with people. Mel looked around. The cabin hadn't changed much since then. It was still just four small rooms and a porch. It had no electricity, no running water. They slept on cots, read by a lantern, and collected rainwater in a big barrel. 
the toilet in the back was in the back in the outhouse. But as mom used to say, who needed a fancy house when your backyard was one million acres of Rocky Mountain wilderness? Look in any direction in Glacier Park, and you'd see something that made your eyes pop open wider. A turquoise lake, a waterfall tumbling down, a cliff, ice-covered mountains soaring into the sky. Mel wished she was back home in Wisconsin, where she could close the door, turn out the lights, and try to forget. Mel, Kevin bellowed, Pops is going to tell another story. Come on. Mel took a deep breath and headed back outside. She didn't want to upset Kevin. Okay, Pop said, I have a story about an animal way more frightening than a wolverine. To me, anyways, because of one of the because one of these nasty critters attacked me one night. Kevin's eyes grew wide. He'd climbed back up on Mel's lap. Tell us, Pops. Oh, I don't know, Pop said, pretending to change his mind. I don't want to scare you. I am brave, Pops. I am very, very brave, Kevin exclaimed. Mel cracked a smile and held Kevin a little tighter. Would would she do without her loud, bossy pests of a brother? All right, Pop said, but don't say I didn't warn you. All right, so questions for chapter two. Who are the new characters that are introduced in this chapter? So chapter one, we had Mel. Chapter two, who are the new characters that we are introduced to in the chapter? And what animal does Kevin guess could beat a grizzly? Where were Mel's parents? And why does Mel think the accident is her fault? So those are some some questions that you can think about. This is going to be the end of our chapter one and two recording. So you can think about the questions, talk about them with somebody that you have around you in your house right now. And we will pick up again with chapter three and four on a different link. Chapter three. This happened a very long time ago, Pops began. I was maybe 10 years old. Mel looked at her grandfather, whose face was lit up by the firelight. He had white hair, a matching mustache, and skin that was all crinkled like an old map. It was hard to imagine that he'd once been a kid like her, but there was an old photo of him hanging on the wall in the cabin. Little boy Pops, with his buzz cut and freckles, he was proudly holding up a big trout he'd caught in the lake. I was walking through the woods, Pops went on. Not too far from here, maybe a half a mile up the lake. I was heading back to the cabin, whistling some silly tunes, swinging my lantern, not a care in the world, until I heard a noise just ahead, a noise I'd never heard before. Pops leaned forward. It sounded like this. He clacked his teeth together. Click, 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 clack, click. Was it an alligator? Kevin asked. He loved alligators. Most kids had teddy bears. Kevin slept with stuffed alligator. Their Aunt Cassie had given him. Shh, Mel said gently. Pops dropped his voice to a whisper. I should have stopped or at least slowed down or found a different route, but I just kept walking along like a big dummy. And suddenly, wham, something whacked my calf. I never felt such pain in my life, not before or since. The animal ran off. I never got a good look at it. I hobbled over to a tree stump, shined my lantern onto my leg, and saw the strangest sight. Dozens of long black needles sticking deep into the meat of my calf. And, of course, I realized what creature had attacked me. What was it, Kevin cried. Pops raised his eyebrows at Mel. She'd heard the story a hundred times before. It was a porcupine, Mel said. A porcupine, Kevin repeated, frowning. He crossed his skinny arms over his t-shirt. Pops, a porcupine is not a scary animal. Who says, Pops boomed, all creatures fear the porcupine. Pops explained that porcupines had more than 30,000 quails on their bodies. The spikes protected them from enemies, bigger animals that wanted to eat them. Each quill was like a small arrow. When a porcupine's attacker tried to take a bite, it wound up stabbed in the snout. And when a porcupine got mad or felt threatened, watch out. With one whack of its tail, 
A porcupine could deliver dozens of quills deep into the enemy's flesh. That's what happened to Pops. My mother had to use pliers to get the quills out, Pops said, wincing. It took her about three hours. I fainted once from the pain. Kevin huffed. I hate that porcupine, Pops. Oh no, Pops said. Don't blame the porcupine. It was just protecting itself. It warned me that click, clack, click, clack it was telling me. I'm here. Please go away. But I was walking around like I owned the forest. I showed no respect. Showing respect in the wild, that was a big thing for Pops and Mom, too. She always reminded Mel that Glacier really belonged to the animals. We're just guests here, she liked to say. Both she and Pops worried that the park was getting too crowded, and some people didn't understand how to act when they were hiking or camping. It used to drive Mom crazy when people littered on the trails. Mom's temper could be fiery sometimes, just like Mel's. Excuse me, she'd yelled handing the person their empty soda bottle or Milky Way wrapper. I think you dropped something. Tell another story, Pops, Kevin pleaded. Tell about a wolverine or a wolf or a tiger or an alligator. Pops chuckled. Enough stories for tonight, he said. He stood up slowly. His stiff knees cracked. Remember, Aunt Cassie's coming tomorrow, right after breakfast. Yay, Kevin said. Aunt Cassie was Mom's best friend. She always joined them for a few days in Glacier. Last year, Mel would have been counting down the minutes until Aunt Cassie showed up in her little red Volkswagen. But the last thing Mel needed now was another reminder of mom, another reason to cry. Kevin slid off Mel's lap and scampered toward the cabin. Race you, Pops, he called. Put out the fire, would you, Mel? Pops asked. Then he turned and started limping after Kevin. I'm coming for you, and I'm bringing my porcupine with me. Kevin shrieked happily. They disappeared into the darkness. A minute later, Mel heard the creak and slam of the porch door. Mel doused the fire with water from the lake and used a shovel to pile sand on the smoldering logs. Even a small ember could drift into the woods and start a fire. There were already more than 10 wildfires burning in the northern parts of the park. So far, firefighters had kept them from spreading. But one windy night could change that, especially in August when the weather was hot and dry. Mal threw on extra sand just to be sure. When the fire was good and out, Mal stood for a few minutes, leaning on the shovel. She stared up at the stars. She could see a million more here than back home in Milwaukee. And that's when she noticed something strange, the total silence. The owls had stopped hooting. The night bugs weren't buzzing. The whole forest seemed to be holding its breath. And then Mal heard a twig snap, leaves rustling, deep, wheezing breaths. The hairs on Mal's arms stood straight up. She wasn't alone. Something was here, something big. All right, some questions for you guys to think about after reading chapter three. What were some words that the author used to describe pops right at the beginning of the chapter? What were some words that, he, that she used to describe pops? What kind of animal was it that attacked Pops? What did Mom and Pops say they had to do with the forest and the wild? And how did Mal know something wasn't right? Okay, you can pause the recording now and think about those questions. Chapter 4. Mal looked into the woods but couldn't see a thing. It was too dark. She just put down the shovel and pushed away her jitters. She had no reason to feel scared. There was no crime in Glacier. Pops didn't even have a lock for the cabin door. Their worst fear was that a skunk would sneak into the house and stink everything up. Mel took a step toward the cabin, and then she heard it. Grr. At first, she thought it was thunder, but the sky was perfectly clear. Grr. Mel stopped, her heart pounding. Should she run? Stay still? What was out there? She remembered Grandpa's story about the porcupine. Was this animal trying to scare her away? She swallowed hard and slowly turned to look. She froze. The shape of an enormous animal hovered at the edge of the woods. A second later, it stepped out of the shadows into a pool of moonlight. 
Mel gasped. The creature had shaggy fur and dark eyes, but it was the hump that rolls between its shoulders that told Mel what it was. A grizzly bear. Mel blinked. It seemed impossible, like it had leaped out of Kevin's imagination. Except that Mel could see it. She could hear it. And now a voice in her mind was screaming in panic. Run! Run! But somehow Mel shut out the screeching voice in her brain. She didn't run or shriek, because if she did that, the grizzly would almost definitely come after her and probably attack. Mom had told her that, over and over, grizzly attacks were very rare. No person had ever been killed by a grizzly in Glacier. In fact, most people who came here never even saw one, even if they searched for weeks. Still, Mom always wanted Mel to be prepared for anything. And so now Mel did exactly what Mom had told her to do. As the grizzly slowly rolls up onto its hind legs, she didn't look it in the eye. She didn't want to make it feel threatened. With her eyes glued to the ground, she walked backward toward the cabin very slowly. Out of the corner of her eye, Mel saw the grizzly drop back down onto all fours. She felt its eyes drilling into her. Its growls and grunts rumbled her ears. Step by shaking step, Mel kept walking backward. The cabin was only a few yards away, but it seemed like hours before she got there. And then Mel couldn't stop herself. She turned and practically flew up the rickety wooden stairs to the porch. She burst into the cabin and slammed the heavy wooden door shut behind her. Mel, Pop said. He and Kevin were right there on the couch. Pops was reading Kevin's bedtime story. What happened? Mel didn't say anything. She was looking out the small square window on the door. It was very dark outside, but there was just enough moonlight to see that there was nothing on the porch. Mel's knees went weak with relief. The bear hadn't followed her. She spun around and locked eyes with Pops. I saw a grizzly, she stammered. Pops put the book down. Where? Right outside. It came out of the woods by the beach, and I I thought maybe it followed me. Mel saw the doubt on Pops' face. Are you sure, Pops said. Grizzlies don't bother with people. You know that. Of course I know that Mel started, but Kevin cut her off. I want to see the grizzly. He leaped off the couch. Before Mel could stop him, he'd flung open the door. And there it was, standing on the porch. The grizzly was on all fours, staring at her little brother. Kevin! Mel snatched her brother and kicked the door shut with her foot. They all stood there for a moment, frozen in shock. Mel couldn't help herself. She held Kevin tight and stepped into the small window. Pop leaned to look, too. The bear was still there. It was pacing back and forth, sniffing the ground. There's something wrong with that bear, Pop said. Look how thin it is. Pops was right. The bear bear was very big, but its light brown coat seemed to hang off its skeleton. Mel could see the outline of its spine poking up through its fur. Kevin reached out and knocked on the window. Hi, bear. Hi, bear. No, Kevin, don't, Mel warned him, grabbing his hand. Too late. The bear looked up at them. It slowly rose onto its hind legs. Then with the speed of a striking cobra, the enormous bear lunged at the door. Its giant clawed paw came smashing through the window right toward Kevin's face. All right, some things for you to think about after reading chapter four. What about the bear told Mel that it really was a grizzly? Why didn't Mel run or shriek? What was on the porch? And what did Pop say about the grizzly? And why did he say it? So think about these questions right now. Pause your recording and think about these questions. Chapter 5. Mel leaped away as the claws whooshed through the air, missing Kevin's cheek by inches. A shard of glass shot into Mel's arm, but she barely noticed the pain. Her eyes were glued to the grizzly's paw. The bear was reaching through the hole in the door, swiping at the air with its pointed white claws. Each claw was at least three inches long. Mel tried not to think of those claws, of what those claws would do to her flesh or to Kevin's. And if that wasn't horrifying enough, 
The grizzly thrust its head through the back window. Kevin shrieked and Mal stumbled back. The bear started bashing its paws against the old rattling door. Its dripping wet jaws snapped open and closed. A cloud of the bear's steaming breath rushed up Mal's nose. She gagged. It smelled like rotting meat and vomit. Pops grabbed hold of Mal's arm and pulled her back. Go away, he shouted at the grizzly. Mal had never heard her grandfather scream so loudly, and somehow it worked. The bear pulled its head out of the door. There was a moment of silence, but then, bam, the entire cabin shook as the bear threw its body against the door. Bam, bam, bam. The wood of the door groaned and cracked. Bam, a light crashed to the floor. Bam, the frame of picture of little boy Pops fell to the ground. <clears throat> Crash. Between each slam, there was a skin-crawling, scratching noise, like giant fingernails cutting across the chalkboard. The sound of the bear's claws digging into the wood. Kevin was whimpering in fear, burying his head in Mel's neck. She held him tight. What would happen if the grizzly got inside the cabin? Mel looked frantically around their small room, searching for something she could use to fight back. But it was hopeless. Even they'd had a loaded rifle. Even if they'd had a loaded rifle within reach, there was no guarantee bullets would stop the grizzly in time. If that grizzly got in here, they were all doomed. Suddenly, Pop snatched up their dinner bell from the table. It was big and made of brass. He shook it hard, right in front of the broken window. Clang, clang, clang. The sound was deafening. Kevin put his hands over his ears. They stood there for one second, two seconds, five seconds, waiting for another bam on the door. But the sound never came. Mel held her breath. Pop stood frozen, still holding the bell high in the air. A minute passed. Finally, Pops lowered the bell and let out a big breath. He peered through the broken window. It's gone, he said. Mel stepped up and looked outside. Pops was right. The bear was nowhere in sight, but its deathly stink still hung in the air. All right, some questions to think about from chapter five. You can pause the video as soon as I'm done reading through the questions and go answer them on your um, in your packet and notability. So chapter five, what did the bear's breath smell like? What did grandpa shout? Did it work? And what simile describes the bear's claws digging into the wood? Remember, a simile uses the words like or as to compare two things. You can go answer your questions.